Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. I am Pastor Hayden, been at least Hayden since I was born, and uh, I'm joined with Pastor Evan, who's also been Evan since the day he was born. Named after my mom, actually. Yes, you are the masculine version of Evangeline. That's right. Evan. So your name is really pretty much the gospel. There you go. Evangelium. Evangelion. I like it. There it is. At Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this Compass Equip podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, Pastor Evan, we are in week two of our sermon series entitled Trials and Triumphs, and this sermon was entitled Light in the Darkness. Would you read Matthew 4, 12 through 17 for us? Absolutely. Now when he heard that John had been arrested... He withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was so what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a great a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, what was the main purpose, the main point, the main thrust, and all those fun synonyms of the sermon? The main point is that Jesus came to conquer the depths of our human depravity, to give us light and life, and would give that to anyone who would turn from their sins and trust in him for their salvation. And the points uh, of the sermon were... Number one, grasp the depths of your depravity. Two, behold the answer to your depravity. And three, repent and trust in Jesus. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, I got a few questions for you. Go ahead and shoot. Based on uh, uh, point number one, uh, can you just elaborate just a little bit more about the depravity and darkness of this region and you know that Jesus started his ministry? Yeah, if you go and look up the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the region of Galilee, you're going to see a lot of depravity just in the middle of it. I mean, isn't, is not is that not where, this, yeah, that's where he put the demon and the swine. In the Sea of Galilee region. He in just the Sea of Galilee, yeah. Goes back in the, the Galilee region. And, and I mean, all throughout this, around the sea, all those cities, there's demon-possessed people. Right, all over the place. And even that, like even having swine, like nobody had herds of swine because that was non-kosher. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, the people of God didn't do that. And so even the fact that you even see the way that they farm and the way that they live and do business is so far from the will and desire of, of God, and then of course all the things we talked about with Capernaum. Even as Jesus says, "You are worse than Sodom." I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. Pretty bold statement about the depravity that that he was in and he was ministering to in uh, in there in Capernaum, uh, and even when he was in Nazareth, which is still in Galilee, uh, he was saying a prophet isn't honored uh, in his own town and how he couldn't do many miracles there because of the lack of faith in the people. I mean, that shows a great depravity uh, in that region. And you can keep going on and on and on, but you know, I think it was very clear through the sermon, if you listen to the sermon, if not, you should go back and listen to that on our YouTube. Uh, but man, it was a pretty dark place. And I love that the quote that Jesus gives is the one in Isaiah 9, the one that you taught out of for the Christmas series, is the first couple verses uh, right. The people walked in darkness, but if you look down in verse six through seven, 
This is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And so even Jesus is fulfilling that typological geographical prophecy to really reveal who he is and beginning in such a dark area. All right, so then Pastor Hayden, as you mentioned that as we see their depravity, we really need to look in our the mirror of ourselves, the mirror of our culture, uh, our nation, and, and globally. So how can we, when we see things maybe on social media, headlines on the news, how can we accurately view the darkness of our own times in our, in, in our own lives? I mean, it's not hard. I don't think I really have to. Uh, try to convince you of the depravity in our culture. I mean, how many babies have been awarded since the uh, 60s, 70s in our culture? I mean, what if, if I told you in a history book, uh, there was a time in Capernaum for 60 years, and now it's still, I guess, it's just uh, each state decides, so it's still very rampant in our culture. Uh, you know, in Capernaum for, you know, 70 years, anyone who didn't want a baby was allowed to kill it and throw it into the sea. That's pretty wicked, isn't it? I mean, okay, well, that's really what we deal with here. And so, like, it's easy to look at other cultures and say, look how wicked they are. But look at our culture. I mean, we're, we're very wicked. I mean, look at the way people communicate with each other. I mean, go to Nextdoor, your app, and look at how people communicate to each other. I mean, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you don't have to go any further than looking at the evidence of depravity than seeing how we speak to one another on online forums. Go to social media. I mean, you cannot actually find an encouraging a thread of communication on social media these days without somebody jumping on there and letting depravity out to, to roar and devour. So, yeah, you should be able to grasp the depths of your depravity just based on the empirical evidence that you see around you in our society. And why is it vitally, critically important that when we see it, we remember this is what the Bible describes as a heart issue? Why is that important? Mm-hmm. That it's that we see that it's a heart issue because that's what the Bible describes. Like, hey, this is yeah their heart speaking. Yeah, well, yeah, but because there's no moral reform, you know, there's going to be any moral reform that fixes this. I mean, uh, and that's the thing you can't legislate morality. I've heard that a lot. Now you can legislate a lot of things that would mitigate more uh, that more opportunities to be sinful and to do things like uh, the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Glory to the Lord. But you're not you're mitigating it. But you're not. You didn't remove it. You know, it's still there, blatant as ever. And so you got to understand it's a heart problem. And you're not going, you can't fix a heart problem by giving people a list of do's and don'ts. And uh, you're going to, uh, you're going to cure the heart problems by giving them the answer that is Christ. Which leads to point number two, you behold the answer to our depravity. And so, well, and, and, you know, give you a new heart. Let me give you the biblical rationale, the new covenant. I'm going to take out your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. That's what Jeremiah teaches, and Ezekiel. Uh, those both of those prophets talk about the new covenant doing that very thing. So I just don't want to like give you a platitude of a new heart. Like you know, that's the biblical definition of the new covenant. Like you can't you, you can't give anyone a new heart outside of the new covenant in Christ. So Sorry, with no with that, I mean, we know the solution biblically. We know that a lot of us moved, and the solution isn't to escape the depravity of our world. Isn't just to move because we move from one depraved spot to another. It mm-hmm. just expresses it differently. Right. Uh, we can't try to. We can try to do our best to legislate, but eventually, the the depravity of sin is going to pour out. So the question I want for you to answer, and I can you know chime in. How can we redirect ourselves and others back to the person of Christ when we really we see the depravity's ugly head? 
we live in a culture that doesn't want to look depravity in the head. Now, it's like they do and they don't. We all have, they have a lot of people have vendettas and they have these uh, micro missions. Uh, I've coined that phrase. Micro missions, like things that you want to focus on for like a short period of time because you see like you want to do this great good in society. But the reality is, is like you just saw something, you want to be a part of something, so you do it. Um, and, uh, but even with that, like you see depravity. I mean, you see that you see things you want to change. Uh, in our culture, and I guess even depraved people see, uh, you know, uh, agendas against their own depravity as depravity, which is, I think is funny. But all of that shows, like, our whole world sees that there's things twisted and wrong. And even the people who are doing twisted and wrong things see that the uh, the curtailing of their depravity is also depravity. And with that point, it's like, dude, you, it's... It's easy to see the twisted nature of our society, and by allowing yourself to see it and allowing yourself to feel it and to understand, like, this is a bad place, you know? Uh, even talking with people who need to know Christ or need counseling or discipleship, it just continually reminds you, this is, this, is a rough, this is a rough world we live in. And what does that do? Man, it helps you look at God the way that you ought to. It helps you worship Him the way that you ought to. It reminds you of why sin is as bad as the Bible says it is, you know? And when you can't, you can't uh, run away from it when you're actually making disciples. You know, you and I do a lot of biblical counseling. It's like when we meet with people sometimes, it's like, oh man, that was a lot of, that's a lot of depravity, you know? And we love, and we love, even if we're doing counseling with you, we love you. Uh, but you know, and that's because you're in counseling. And, you know, it's like, Wow, I those things kind of even as a pastor as a biblical counselor, you're like, man, that reminds me of how much I should love the Lord because of the reality of what God's done for me and how the Holy Spirit leads us out of those kind of things. And if the Holy Spirit's wanting to lead us out of those things, it should remind us uh, and bring to our attention how bad those things really are. So with that, we can easily see that and be crushed, or we can have hope. Now, how can we? When we really look at the just the depraved nature, even with the abortion, the murder, murdering of you know, children by disassembling them in the womb, when we think about that, that's just harboring, it just cringes, right? How can, how can we have hope when we even see stuff like that? Well, even in my illustration, I shared at both services. I, you don't, you should not. I, I don't think there's any reason like why you shouldn't mourn or be burdened and sad about the reality of depravity, even your own depravity. And I'm not saying, hey, be happy and be joyful that you're depraved because there's an answer. It's like, no, no, no. Like, if I'm diagnosed with cancer, I'm going to be burdened. I'm going to be sad. What I'm going to be overjoyed about, what I'm going to be uh, encouraged about is the treatment for my cancer, the solution to my cancer. It doesn't remove the burden of the reality of the cancer, but it does remove the burden of the consequences of my cancer because it's not going to kill me because they said it's an easy one that I'd have, that I'd be able to overcome. That was my illustration that I shared in our sermon. And in the same way, it's like, yeah, your depravity should burden you. The world's depravity should burden you. But what shouldn't burden you is the consequence of your depravity in Christ because it is then, uh, it is then, uh, uh, expiated, it is uh, substituted with the righteousness of Christ, uh, and it's removed from you. And so that's cool. I mean, that's what you should be overjoyed about. That's where the joy should come from. And that's why I said it always goes back to the person of Christ. It always goes back to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why that's where the joy should remain, 
is in Christ. All right. Well, with the truth, it demands a response, and the response that Christ gives as he, you know, for the first time he gives something. You know, right. I didn't notice that he was receiving baptism. He was guided by the wilderness. But this time, he's the one giving. And actually, we're going to see a lot of that coming up in his ministry, yeah. especially in Matthew chapter five through seven. Um, but with that, all of that, uh, the third point was to re- the response that we need to have is repent and trust in Jesus. Um, can you explain to our church what does salvific repentance mean? And or maybe not mean either. Yeah, repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind uh, that impacts the change of my heart and life. And uh, I think some commentators or some groups of churches would suggest that repentance is only it's only a change in your mind. It's like, okay, well, if you changed your mind, you know, if I told you, hey. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna buy my f- my water bottle for twenty bucks, and you say yes, and then you come back to me twenty minutes later and you say, well, I changed my mind. Well, what what does that mean then? That means you're not gonna give me twenty bucks. That means you're actually not going to do the thing that you changed your mind on. And so it's you can't divorce uh, repentance from uh, from actually turning from something to something different. We can't just make metanoia or repentance about a mind change. It's, it's, it's a mind change that reflects through my entire being, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. And I just find it, I find that argument lacking to suggest that repentance wouldn't mean a change in my life. And so repentance would be simply to be illustrated. Like if you're standing up and you sit in a chair, well, you trusted in that chair, but you didn't just trust in that chair. You repented or turned from standing up. This is what you did. It's literally what you did. You turned from standing up to sitting down. That's called repenting. You turned from that, and you're doing something different. You're trusting in the chair to hold you up when you were trusting in your legs to do that. You repented from trusting in your legs, and you trusted in, in the legs of the chair. Now, are we repenting from just a handful of sins that we're doing or from a sinful nature that we're in? Yeah, I'm, I try to be careful in articulating this because the answer is yes to both. Uh, but the problem is if we only think about repentance uh, in the way of there's a, here's a handful of things that I have done, and now I need to repent from those things, you miss the, dep- the depraved nature. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if I'm just repenting from my words, and if that's my, my pile of sin is my words— I'm actually not repentant of the wicked heart that I have, which is actually the problem. And so when I only say that I'm repenting from sins that I'm doing, I'm missing the the nature of my sin, the sin nature, that that singular like nature. That's who I am. So it's not that I, I'm not you know foul language. I, I am a I'm a sick, depraved heart needing a heart transplant. I need a changed heart. And so in that sense, I am turning from my sin nature, not just simply turning from sins. However, in genuine repentance, there is definitely the repenting from my sins, the realities of my sin nature. I repent from those because those show just how depraved I am. And for the Christian, the rest of your life is actually, which I find interesting, uh, is the rest of your Christian life is actually repenting from sins like, because you're no longer repenting from your sin nature because you have a new nature in Christ. And so that's the proof of like, yeah, it's both because you have to repent from sin nature and you also have to repent from sins because what else is a Christian repenting from for the rest of their life? 
sins, things they've done, and you can opposed see to God's this, law. You can see this in Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4 specifically where it talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. That is, the Christian's life of putting off sins in the life and putting on a new life, Christ's character. Right. And so now with repentance, all right, what does saving trust look like or even mean? It just, I mean, it is to trust in the person. Now, you trust in the person uh, because of who they are and, and what they have done, but to trust in Christ is to trust that he is the answer to my sins. And he actually is the answer to my sins because it was God placing the sins of the world on the shoulders of Christ that saved us. And the the exercise of God placing the sins and the justice on Christ was that Christ was crucified on the, cro- on, on the cross and died for our sins. That's, that's the exercise of what the person who was perfectly capable, the only person perfectly capable of living a perfect life and uh, taking our sins. And so we trust in the person who did that in that we know that he did that because of we we know that he's capable of saving us for our sins because of the exercise of being nailed to the cross, dying for our sins and resurrected in 3 days and exalted to the right hand of the father. Does that make sense? I mean, that's that's why it's always you're trusting in the person and the work but the person of who did Christ the work. and that yeah, who did the work. And so it's trusting that's all like I'm trusting in Christ, in the person of Christ, which I think is a really compelling thing as we look at the Gospels, because like everything that he's done is part of my trust in him. Like that's why like so many people, oh, I just want to make it about the cross. It's like, okay, okay, great. But like you're missing out on all of the, the all of the denseness and all of the, the fruitfulness of like, I trust in the person of Christ, the person of, look at the person of Christ did right there when he overcome the sin of, 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 the, of Satan, the temptation of Satan and his fleshly, his fleshly weakness. He overcome that. Like how awesome was that? I trust in him. I'm trusting in that man. Like, and you read the whole gospels and everything he's doing, you're like, I trust in him. Like he went to the dark place to preach the gospel. I trust in him. And like it culminates at the cross. But I don't want you to lose sight of what the Bible teaches about the whole person of Christ and the relationship you can have uh, by looking at all of who Christ is that does culminate for, for the salvific uh, in the salvific way at the cross. But it doesn't stop at the cross, you know. Well, if you just focus on the cross, then you might be an apostate or an apostate heretic because you need the resurrection. Because the resurrection didn't happen then all this is all for naught. Then Jesus is still dead. You know, oh great, he paid for my sins on the cross. Oh, you're saying you could, you're saying that I mean, you, you could know you could believe in the cross and still not believe in in, in the in the faith of Jesus in, in in the faith that is Christianity. The reason why the cross is is really important is because of the resurrection. Sure, because he died, but he didn't stay dead. But think, why is the resurrection important? Because he's the Son of God. Yes. Right. I mean, so that's what I'm saying. Like, well, that's what I'm saying is that you, yeah. you can't just focus on just one of these things. He's the you, whole you person. you got to focus on the whole life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, we we look at the cross, absolutely, but we look at the empty tomb to yep. see it is proven mm-hmm. and he's ascended. That's and, and important. And you look at the life of Christ because of the perfection that he lived. And then we, we look at the ascension of Christ because he's going to come back. Right. All of, And that's why I'm like, like, don't miss out. And, you know, And that's people, I just want a simple faith. I just want to make it about the guy. It's like, Okay, but you want to make it, just make sure that what you're making it about is what God wants to make it about. And God wants to make it about the whole person of Christ. And not just the whole person of Christ, but the whole triune nature of the Godhead. It's simply all about God, but God ain't simple. 
There you go. There you go. You heard it first here. There you go. Quote it. Put on a t-shirt. Trademark. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, last uh, couple questions. Um, why is it significant for us? And why should we remember that Jesus began his ministry, ended his ministry, and then commissioned his ministry about repentance and, and trust in Christ? Yeah, it's so... You stay, you stay centered on the central message of the gospel, which means the kingdom of heaven is at hand in, in the life of Christ. So turn from your sin and trust in him. And uh, you can't just say, well, he only said it at the beginning of his ministry. So he didn't really say that a lot later, but he does. Turns out he says it in the beginning and the end of the Gospels. And we see that in Luke 24. We see it in Mark 1. We see it in Matthew chapter 4. We see it at the beginning of Acts multiple times. Um, And we see that repentance is is so necessary for our faith. And uh, we see over and over again, that Jesus makes this the central component of his message, that we must turn and trust in him. So that should give you a lot of hope and a lot of confidence, saying this is that is the core message of the gospel. And if, if, if you're calling people to repentance and faith, you're not making them do anything extra. You're not making them work for their faith. You're just calling them to exercise their faith. Uh, you're calling them to turn from their sin and place their trust in Christ by doing the exact thing that Christ has called everyone to do as well. All right, and then the last question, Pastor Hayden, before we move on to the application uh, question direction and then to the DBR portion of the podcast, um, the last question is is for you know maybe the listeners who are starting to really kind of question their faith or maybe they're starting to have doubts, what is the first step they should do? Well, examine yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. I think that's a good thing that Paul teaches. Uh, you know, if you want assurance in your in your in your faith, I think you need to ask yourself a couple of questions. Have you responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, do you trust in the person of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins because you realize that you're depraved and in need of the light of Christ? Uh, does your life bear fruit? Uh, period. I mean, does your life bear fruit? I mean, do you recognize that your life being empowered by the Holy Spirit is, is living differently? You're living according to the work of the Spirit that is for that is very clearly laid out in scripture uh or are you living for yourself are you bearing fruit for death and fruit for evil uh, and then thirdly i think is, is a good question that you actually you, you you can't lie to yourself if you if when you ask this question if you're being genuine i think this is a helpful question do you really love god like do you love him and then you need to say what is love i mean love is self-sacrificial love is considering someone else before you consider yourself love is giving up what you want for the sake of the other person i mean love is is, is really the central central component of the story of the gospel and so like does your do you love god that way is that how you love god because if, if it seems like no it seems like i treat myself that way like i put myself above the needs of uh of of others i put myself above uh what god calls me to do i consider myself more significant my time more significant uh, than to submit any of that to God or to much of that to God at all. I give him a little bit here and a little bit there. It's like, that's not love. So ask you, do you really love God? Does your love, do you yearn for God? When you get up, do you want God? You know, when, when, when you're about your day, are you thinking about God? You know, when you go to bed at night, does your mind go to God? You know, that's how you don't, do you love God? And if you need assurance, I mean, those are good questions to ask yourself. And of course, if you ever have that, talk to your life group leaders. They want Please. to know. They are. They can walk you through what the Bible has to say about the assurance of faith. 
All right, Pastor Hayden, any last thoughts for the application question direction? I think you guys have some very good applicational questions this week. Uh, I encourage you guys to uh, apply them to your own life. I think I love questions four and five, help you see the the message of Christ throughout the Gospels to respond to him by turning from your sin, place your trust in him. I think that is so good. Uh, I think uh, even uh, question number three that helps you look at your life and see how uh, your own sinful nature contrasts with the perfectness of Christ and, and the light that he is. I think, I think this is a really good self-reflective application questions for you this week, but uh, I do encourage you to answer them. Uh, give examples, be detailed, be applicational, so that you can encourage and share them with your group this week. All right, we are jumping into our daily Bible reading spotlight, and this week we're in Matthew 27 through 28. Do you mean we are finishing the Gospel of Matthew? We are finishing. I got my single Matt Matthew journal Bible, and I'm sad a bit that I'm closing is. the end of the pages today. <laughs> All right, Compass, buckle up. Put me on half speed. Here we go. Matthew 27. Uh, right when uh, this is the uh, right after Peter denies Jesus, uh, the morning came. This is right when uh, again Peter denies Jesus, and then they took him to be on trial. And then right after that, we see Judas who sees him and realizes that what he'd done is he sinned. He quotes, "I have sinned by betraying innocent blood," and he gives and back the money that he he. Uh, took, which seems like a pretty genuine response or a repentance and grief of his sin, but then he hung himself. And mm. this is what you need to do. You need to jot down 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. This is what it looks like to have worldly grief versus godly grief. Worldly grief leads to death, and this is the case of Judas, and godly grief leads to repentance, which we'll see eventually with Peter when Christ restores him. Because this is going to be a helpful example where we see both Peter and Judas betraying Christ in different ways, but one had no hope in the person of Christ and the other did. And so it's going to be a helpful little reminder for you in that. Now, right after that, he goes before Pilate, and Pilate is kind of confused, kind of like, what's going on? What is this rabble going on? What, mm. what do you accuse him of? And he finds him innocent. And so to kind of you know put the crowd to the test to go okay I'll I'll say hey here's Barabbas this yeah because he's like oh, I have no reason to condemn this guy he's done nothing wrong and so you, know, you can imagine in the mind of Pilate he's saying you know what I'm gonna do I usually release somebody anyway I mean obviously they're gonna release this guy over the murderer Barabbas so I'm gonna like so for him you can tell his like leadership mind is working he's like I think I can kill two birds with one stone here and then he puts him up and says who do you want to release and then. They say Barabbas, and they're like, "What in the world?" And they said, "Let him on? be, let him be crucified." And they shouted all the more, "Let him be crucified!" And then Pilate saw that it was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning. And he washes his hands, saying, "I'm innocent of this man's blood. See it to yourselves." And they, and then the Jews replied, "His blood would be on us and our children." Mm. So this is what you so need. So true, though. This I is. I mean, how true was the truth that they just spoke? And so here, and here, this is true. And furthermore, this is what we need to see from the sermon. This is, I mean, he went to the darkness of Zebulun and Aphtali, but really it's just a reflection of how deep and dark mankind is. Mm. I and mean, even Pilate, even though Pilate says, I'm innocent of this man's life, no, he's guilty. He did the wrong thing. He would have should, what he should have done is released an innocent man despite the riot. 
but he feared man and still put Christ to death. So don't look at Pilate as some innocent victim. No, he is guilty as charged as much as the people who said, let his blood be on us and our children. They're all guilty. And look at the depravity of man that here's someone innocent, and yet they choose someone who is so wicked. And this is the weight of the depravity of man. And it goes further. I mean, this is the depravity of man on full display right here when Jesus is mocked. Which is still amazing about God's sovereignty. And love. And love in that he He is the one. It was the will of the Father to crush the Son. It was, Christ, it was God who sent Jesus to the cross, but also man's responsibility, man's culpability in that and their own depravity at work. It just shows the power of God even in the midst of the depraved nature of humanity. And I love the fact that we're in Matthew because we can remember the temptations of Jesus or of Jesus by Satan. So I'll give you the you don't have to go through. I'll give it to you. Just mm-hmm. worship me. And this is what you know Satan and Jesus had in mind. And Jesus is saying, No, I'll go through with it. Yep. And again, being tempted again in Gethsemane, he's going Okay, God, let your will be done instead. So he gets beaten, flogged, the crown of uh, thorns placed on his head, and it gets worse. He's so weak, he can't carry his own cross, and then he he's crucified, and they're still mocking him. So the display of the, the depravity of not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. The Gentiles are beating him and flogging him and putting cr- uh, uh, a crown of thorns on his head to crucify him. In the, in the Jewish people, the people chosen the nation of God, rejecting their Messiah and saying, crucify him and mocking him saying, oh, he will, he will destroy the temple, which he does and rebuild it in three days, which he does. Um, he, if you're a son of God, come down from the cross. Well, actually he will and rise from the dead. You know, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. You know, let him come down, which he's saving them in the process. So it's the, you can almost see the beautiful irony that those who are mocking him, God is dying for mm-hmm. their sins right there. And then the the climax of the cross at the sixth hour. I think if I, I can't remember what time that is. I think it's about noon yep. or three p.m. I can't remember what time it is. So I think uh, two, two o'clock. I, wasn't it two? I'll have to check my sources. But he cries out and he quotes Psalm twenty-two, verse one: "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And what I want you to do is actually pause, read all of Psalm twenty-two. It's three p.m. It's three p.m. Thank you. Read all of Psalm 22 to get a full context of the power of this messianic psalm because it ends with victory and salvation for those who trust in the Lord. Right. Um, but he uh, cries out because Jesus, and this is quoting the Bible Knowledge Commentary, one we sell in the bookstore, Jesus sensed a separation from the Father he had never known. For uh, becoming sin, the Father had to turn judicially from his, uh, from his Son. Yeah. And so he's pouring the wrath of our sins upon Christ in this moment. And what Satan tried to do is to separate Father from the Son. Jesus said, I have to be separated from the Father, in, in a sense, to take on sin who didn't know sin so that we can have the righteousness of Christ placed on us. Side note, uh, Golgotha, it means skull, which is actually where we get the word Calvary. comes from the Latin uh, translation of the word Golgotha. And so when you hear about Calvary, it's actually talking about Golgotha, which is the Latin translation from the Greek word Golgotha, which means skull. All right. There you go. There you go. Because you, you hear songs all the time called Calvary. On the Hill Called Mount Calvary, but or Calvary Church. Or yeah. All the different, it means it's Latin for Golgotha. There you go. All right. So Jesus cries out again with a loud voice and gives up his spirit. And this is where 
it gets very interesting. You pay close attention. What happens all the way back at the temple? The curtain of the temple was torn in two, meaning the separation mm. is now over. The separation between God and man. And now, instead of dwelling in and with the people in the temple and tabernacle, he actually dwells in, in the, his the, people. As the temple. We are now, we the, now we the, temple. Are the temple because the spirit dwells in us and not in the place that was the, the stones. And so we slow down and, and pray to the Lord and thank him for he took on sin and became in a, in, a, in a moment separated from the father that we deserve that separation. And he tore what was dividing us between God, the father and us. He tore it because of what he did. And then we see in this account, Matthew's account, and only the account that the, some of the tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And so Crazy, we see the, man. This resurrection, and it's mind-blowing. Yeah, can you imagine? That's the power of the death of the Son of God, that earthquake happens, the temple, uh, the temple curtains tear, and then... People who trusted in God, the saints. The tombs open up. And it's a forecast of the resurrection to come. Yeah. And this is the beautiful part. Yeah, if the death of Christ could resurrect people immediately, imagine what the triumph of Christ exalted to the right hand of the Father is going to do through the resurrection of the saints. And this is why it's important to read your Bible, then the whole Bible. And then we have this beautiful picture, a centurion who are keeping watch over Jesus Maybe one who flogged him. Maybe one of them who mocked him. One of them who placed the crown. He said, said in awe, said, truly, this was the Son of God. And this is a Gentile who killed Jesus, and he's watching him die. Maybe he partook in the, you know, the, the torture of Jesus, and yet he sees. And the beautiful point of the gospel is that now God has you know, shown, shined bright into a dark area, into a dark world, and people are now being saved. And so then we have the account of uh, Jesus being buried, by one of his disciples, uh, the tomb of one of his disciples uh, named Joseph of Arimathea. And then the Jews asked Pilate to put guards over that just to make sure that, hey, they said that he's going to raise three days. Can we make sure they don't steal his body and try to create a, a hoax? Which, hey, that would have been a legit, you know, pretty good hoax, right? But chapter 28, uh, after the Sabbath and the dawn of the first day of the week, which is important, which we'll talk more about in Luke, Behold, there's a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Well, that's a pretty epic entrance right there. And rolled back the stone and sat on it. And the guards were dumbstruck, essentially. And But he tells, talks to some women to say, don't be afraid, for he is risen. And their reaction was they had a great fear and great joy because of the power of God and what he had just accomplished. And Jesus says, greetings. And that must have been... Greetings. That must have been pretty... I wonder how he said it, too. That's great. Hello there. And, and where does he tell them to go, interestingly enough? Go to Galilee. What? We just talked about that. And so go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the nations. And so... And then we get a quick um, sidebar to see what the chief priests are doing to see, like, okay, he's rose from, risen from the dead. Uh, let's make the hoax true and pay the guards to keep the hoax pay alive. Them off, yeah. To pay them off because they realize the, the depravity of man right here. Yep. Despite the truth, about, objective truth. That they saw the person that they killed rise from the grave proving who he was. They loved their sin so much, they try to buy it off. And that's the depravity of man. But then we see the redemption of God. Now, the 11 disciples, remember, Judas is no longer there, so there's now 11. <laughs> and some saw him worship, but some doubted. And think about that. They, they just saw Thomas the, doubted. They saw my their, name, my namesake. their closest 
their closest friend, Judas, was the closest, you know, trusted one, betrayed them. Handled the money. And they saw their Messiah tortured and died, killed, and now he's risen from the grave. So they're like, man, I am probably in some deep trouble because I abandoned this guy. And yet Jesus commissions them. And this is the beautiful part. We preached on this, so I refer back to your sermon on Matthew 28. Jesus ends the, the, the gospel of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I love to dive in further, but I will just refer you back to your sermon of what was a few weeks ago on Matthew 28. So go to our YouTube channel, rewatch the sermon on Matthew 28, uh, 18 to 20, and this will be a great dive to end your study in the Gospel of Matthew. Congratulations, church, on finishing the Gospel of Matthew in our daily Bible reading. We're looking forward to continuing our daily Bible reading as we start in Mark next week. All right, announcements quickly. We have our Disciple Now this weekend. So if you have yet to register your students, let's do it. Let's make sure all the students get to our Discipleship Now. If money is an option, we do not want that to be a reason why your students cannot go to camp. Let us know. We want them to be there. That will be this weekend from the 17th and 19th. Women's Breakfast is the following Saturday, February 25th at 9 a.m. We're, we're excited uh, to be able to uh, have our women meet again on the 25th. Invite all the women you can. Be there for our Women's Breakfast on the 25th. Exploring Compass is the next day, February 26th, and the following week, March 5th, for our next two sessions of Exploring Compass. If you have not registered already and you've never gone through Exploring Compass, we want to encourage you to do that, to learn about us, to partner with us, and start serving with us here at Compass Bible Church. And then that evening, the 26th, from 5 to 6.30 p.m., we have our monthly corporate prayer night. We want you to gather with us as we worship and pray uh, for our community, pray for people to come to know Christ, and pray for the things that we uh, are expecting God to do in the future here at our church. And then finally, we want you to save the date for April the 5th, which is incidentally... 15th. What did I say, 25th? You said the 5th. Oh, man. April 15th, which is incidentally tax day. Uh, it says it here on my notes. <laughs> we want you to save the date for a surprise announcement. It's not secret. We want to tell you, and we're going to tell you. We just want you to save the date now so you don't miss the great thing that we're about to announce in the near future. So save the date for April 15th for our surprise announcement that we will give you guys shortly. On that note, we'll leave you on that cliffhanger. So grateful for you, church. Look forward to seeing you soon.